really need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. This is Dave Debo. A lot of what we talk about on this program, obviously, are the different community groups that are active in the community, especially now after the shootings on May 14th. And the list is long. And the list also includes perhaps some unlikely suspects. Let's talk for a moment about People, Inc. They run community homes across the area. You wouldn't necessarily think of them involved directly on Jefferson Avenue. But guess what? They have community homes right there on Jefferson. Let's talk more about what that means for them and how they reacted to the situation on May 14th. Kevin Horgan is with us. He's the vice president of public affairs at People, Inc., and also Bradford Watts, their associate vice president for community relations and DEI. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us today, Dave. Talk about what happened with you that particular day, and then Bradford will bring in you and some of the reaction as the day unfolded. Sure. Um, so we were doing a cleanup that morning just a couple blocks from um, uh, Tops on Jefferson, and great community effort concluded the cleanup by doing a nice picnic, and um, to find out later that day, we, we left probably about one that afternoon that the massacre and tragedy occurred right right down the street from where we were. So you left and then came back. Yeah, I, I left uh, about one, and then uh, later that afternoon, uh, well, only a couple hours later, I was uh, giving my son a ride home, and he always told me how his phone was getting, how he was getting texted, told me about what happened. So I uh, drove over there and just saw you know, people running around, um, very traumatized, kind of just more of a beleaguered look. So it was something that some people wouldn't go see, and I just felt the need to you go there. You had to be there for the sake of, here's the word we're going to use a lot, community. Yeah, exactly. It, it, we were just there and um, earlier that day and um, and doing such a nice thing. Now talk about your homes in the neighborhood. We have an apartment building right there. Uh, we have uh, hundreds of employees that live in the surrounding area. So uh, right away, the next day, um, we made a concerted effort to, you know, companies put out their press releases and things like that. And I, I know to some people that might sound stale. Yeah, or, uh, or self-serving. Either. Or self-serving. Um, and there's there's more to it. What you don't see in the writing is the emotions behind the people that are are doing this the the work, and 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 thinking of the families and the victims and what's going on, and if you don't do it, you, what what kind of company are you? And you're trying to show that you're committed to what's going on and what's gonna the aftermath of this massacre, and um are are the, believing in the importance of wanting to step forward and showing a commitment to our hundreds of employees that live in the area um, that, that are black and brown 
And um, it's important to show a commitment to them that this has impacted all of us, whether we're white, uh, whether we're black or brown. Talk a little bit about the typical resident, especially there in your facilities on Jefferson. Okay. Obviously, this program discusses community needs all the time. The population in your homes are people who already have some pretty unique needs. Exactly. And then this layers over top. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. It, in, in that specific building, uh, many of the people are independent. So they're independent seniors, but there are people with disabilities. We, we have people that it hit home with personally that shop right there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people that have disabilities that uh, maybe need a better understanding of everything that happened. So right away, our first efforts were to show the people that live there, we're with you. We collected food. So we showed um, by doing this that we're, we're going to be with you in so many ways, which Brad can really talk about the details of that. Then let's bring in Bradford Watts. Talk about the kind of things that you were doing in the community before this event and then how those events changed after the shooting. Yeah, to, to Kevin's point, when we, um, on May 14th, had this community outreach, it's something that we continue to do in wherever we have a presence uh, as the agency. And uh, it's just to continue the relationship building and the opportunities for inclusive op- openings uh, to those that we serve. And that particular day, uh, this was just something that was, you know, another beautiful day of things that we would engage the community with. And so when hate tried to come in and destroy that beautiful day, and I'm going to emphasize tried, yeah. although it was tragic of what happened. I know on that day, as Kevin said, he just needed to come in and be there as a support to the community in any way possible on that day. The same happened with me. I had my grandson there with us at the cleanup, took him to a uh, a basketball game that he had. So we came back, you know, and then I'm taking him home because on that Saturday, that's usually where my daughter and he and his sister, they'll go shop because they live right around the corner from that tops. Uh, So so we did a wraparound outreach effort to come and uh, just provide some canned goods, some other types of means of support that was happening. Even though as things were all transpiring there on Jefferson, we wanted to, to show that we were here for you. We we're going to continue to be here, and we continue to do that. And that's one of the things that I'm so proud to always tout that, that that's something that's part of our DEI initiatives and values, but... It's inherited in a 50-year history of our agency, 50-plus year of our agency. You just said we continue to do that. Mm -hmm. I imagine that the needs that you need to meet have changed over time as we move away from the shooting. What's the number one issue in the neighborhood now? I think right now is the continued effort to collaborate. I think that's one of the growing uh, areas to that. The reason I'm so that I was so excited, Kevin and I, we listened to the show. We love the show, uh, but we were also uh, told about the show through an advocate now that was really touched by that tragic event. Mark Talley sure. uh, told us about this amazing show, and I think because of what happened, Mark was Geraldine's son, or is yes. Geraldine's son? Yes, Geraldine Talley, one of the victims that was killed. Uh, Mark briefly, full disclosure, worked on this program mm-hmm. as a production assistant for us. Uh, he's moved on to, to other other gigs because 
the opportunities that have started to open up for anyone who's active in this field have increased. That's kind of what you're talking about, the idea that all of a sudden there's a lot more activism yes. than maybe there was before. Yes, uh, and Mark's that, that shining example of that. Uh, many of those that were touched in that tragic event have become spokespersons, advocates, uh, have become so involved. Uh, and many times when hate tries to uh, stamp out, you know, a community, a, a culture, a group, uh, stamp out just love. Um, I love that it gets defeated by an attitude and an essence of what East Buffalo, East Side, the semantics of that we can get into later, but what it does to a culture, a community, to galvanize them, to not allow it to win. I want to play devil's advocate, and, and maybe this yeah. scenario isn't the best one to point to because you just talked about on the ground in the community, mm -hmm. and, and the question I have to ask is a little bit more broader on sure. a national scope. After George Floyd, the pictures of that knee on that man's neck were everywhere. People could not avoid it. It was in their living rooms. Black, white, brown, whatever. It was right there in front of them. And it motivated the, the summer of BLM. And now, months later, I don't know if we can say there has been change. What is different about this shooting? Is it the catalyst for broad change? Uh, because if it didn't happen with George Floyd, why would it happen with the tops on Jefferson? Uh, now you're going to get me into Dave being a proud Buffalonian. Go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Do it. laughs> there's nothing like, I think, um, the spirit of Buffalo. You know, and a lot of people, the light is being shined in terms of on this now. Um, but we're we're a hearty bunch here. You know, I don't know if it's the winners or just the, the diverse makeup of our, our of our region and area. And I'm not saying that we don't have our challenges, but I think when the challenges come, we kind of meet them head on. And I think when this happened in terms of it, uh, of May 14th and, and from George Floyd to countless others, uh, Breonna Taylor, to many others mm. that uh, this has been shined a light on, uh, I think it's it, it's a spirit here in this region and area that I think we won't let it just stay the same. Yeah. Uh, our amazing governor stepped up. She's a homegirl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't hesitate to call out those that are advocates in the area and arenas, even in, in our government arenas, uh, that are advocates that are not going to allow things to stay the same. People Inc. has a history over its 50-plus years uh, of a history of not allowing things to stay the same, uh, to not to allow institutionalization to keep people uh, marginalized from uh, community supports. Uh, and so that's part of what Kevin and I believe in. Every day we step out our homes and doors, uh, that there's change that can be had when we engage with people. And I'm not saying that it's got to be all rosy uh, conversations. There needs to be courageous conversations around systemic racism, around white supremacy, around hatred, around bigotry, around issues that uh, can try to break up, um, break up the opportunity for an accepting society. And so I'm always proud to not only tout 
being a part of our organization at People Inc. and working for this amazing guy. Uh, but also uh, that we've got a fabulous leader in Rhonda Frederick. We've got an amazing direct support staff that goes from Rochester to here in our Buffalo region and all around Western New York uh, to, to a senior leadership team, uh, to so many others, families, board members, uh, and the community supports that we build when we uh, build the relationships with fellow stakeholders, uh, other uh, professional support agencies uh, that we come together under uh, the disability, the Developmental Disability Alliance of Western New York. There's so much more in that process that everyone comes together to meet, uh, to talk, uh, to sometimes have some some tough discourse, yeah. um, but the underlying current for that is change, and how I believe in it. How many block club leaders do you have on speed dial? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've got just about all from the region here in Buffalo. I've got countless uh, chambers of commerce, uh, rotaries, and all different groups and areas. I'm going to add you, okay. and I'm going to add yeah. Jay, okay. and I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah, we we make we make a, a concerted effort to really being involved, mm. being on their boards, being part of their policy making decisions. You know, the nonprofit community in in Buffalo, I think, is very fortunate, and we're a leader in that area. We back it up by being on the boards and being involved in it, it whether they're big or small nonprofits. We partner, and that's mm-hmm. the way to do it. Kevin Horgan is vice president of public affairs at People Inc. Bradford Watts is here. He's their Associate Vice President for Community Relations and DEI. I'm going to ask you, Kevin, the same question that I put to uh, Bradford. What do you right now see as the biggest community need? The biggest community need, I think, right now is to to show the ongoing support. You know, you you can't forget what happened on May 14th. Um, And people that do... um, should should take a step back and, and and just not forget people that were impacted directly the families i mean people like zanetta everhart mm. uh people like mark talley like garnell whitfield uh like barbara maps cat massey's sister like ebony white uh hayward patterson's niece um these people are stepping up in huge ways to try to make a difference they're speaking out these are people that they could have rolled up in a ball and went into a corner, mm-hmm. and and that would have been perfectly understandable, and 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 they're they're turning their their grief and their anguish into trying to make a difference. And you know what? They can't do it by themselves. They need people like People Inc. supporters like Brad and I to step up. Whether it's monetary, sweat equity, helping them do food drives, book bag drives. Um, supporting their issues or causes, staying in touch and talking to them. And uh, you've seen some of that. There there have been efforts to reach out to and work with the families from philanthropy groups, mm-hmm. West yep. Her. Yep. yep. We we worked closely with uh, Scott Bueller and West Her uh, the day after, uh, uh, on 515, the day after the massacre, uh, Scott Bueller announced uh, with Mayor Brown, um, Scott contacted Rhonda Frederick, our CEO, and said that he wanted to s- support the families in any way. And one of that ways that uh, initial discussion was around funeral expenses. But as we know, so many other organizations had stepped up like right away. 
So we worked very closely with the families, 13 individuals, I should say, and their families on supporting them through Westhurst donation. Scott said in Westhurst, your agency is located right in the Jefferson community. You're, you're known. Uh, you're a human service agency. We sell the cars. We're car dealers. Mm-hmm. So what we did, we did what a human service agency does. We reached out to each of the 13 families, thanks to Garnell Whitfield, who had already linked up with many of the family members in the first week of what happened. And um, we were able to to meet with them and say, hey, we have this donation. We want to work with you and supplying you with funding that uh, in any way your family sees needs, the need to help you grieve and recover, if that's the right word, and probably not from yeah. what happened. Mm-hmm. All right. At the beginning of this program, one of the sound bites we play almost every day uh, is Reverend Julian Armand Cook. And, and let's see if I can quote it exactly. It's, in order for us to have healing, we got to face some uncomfortable truths. Mm-hmm. You spoke earlier, Bradford, about the kind of discussions that need to be had. I can't end the program without going there. What has to happen? I think to Pastor Cook, which is a neighbor of mine, um, in the community's uh, statement, uh, and I'll say it again, it has to be courageous that the conversations have to be had that are difficult. Uh, There are systemic issues that were happening and occurring in in the community long before May 14th. And so I think, as Kevin made mention, that we've got these amazing advocates uh, that have not allowed this tragedy to break them, but inspired them to talk about issues at hand. And just like Kevin said, we've got to be able to not only walk the walk, but uh, to talk the talk, but walk that walk to be uh, an aide, an assistant, uh, to come alongside in, in times of support and bring whatever we have to the table to make sure that the change does occur. Talk more, though, about the discussion. Yes. Uh, do we need just to fill a room with white people and people of color and say, have at it? In, in a some way, cases, I mean, yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. In some cases, yeah, we do need to get into those rooms. But also, we need to best step out of our comfort zones. Um, we've seen many people come down from different areas that came down in response, but are you going to come down and go to a church service? Are you going to come and shop at that tops alongside someone and have a conversation of what I use for community relations and say, hello. Mm. I say that opens a door to opportunity just by saying hello. I do the most uncomfortable thing that I always do teach my students at Buff State. I'd say, when you get in an elevator, turn to someone that's in there with you and say, hello, how are you today? All right, but in that elevator, there's going to be some awkward silence. Yes, it is, because <laughs> that usually doesn't happen, right? You push right. the button, you watch the numbers to get to your floor. So you change that atmosphere. You have that conversation. You step out of your comfort zone on a Sunday morning and say, yeah, we're not just going to go to our local church. Let's go down to one of the churches that's down over on the east side and meet some new folks. Let's do that. 
Let's uh, go down to a Jericho Road over on Broadway, not just on Easter time to the Broadway market, but let's go in there and just meet some folks, see if we can be of assistance. Let's exchange some business cards when we're out at some function events. Uh, let's do some sit down coffee events and things. Let's change that dynamic. So it's not, hey, we're going to have a talk about race now. It's just basic human interaction. Let's you're get saying. to know each other, Dave. And that's what DEI is all about? That's just what it's mm -hmm. all about. Mm -hmm. Diversity is our strength. That's part of our mantra in that, you know. And we know that if we create the inclusive opportunities, there still has to be some equitable changes to occur. But when we step into that zone and we allow for those things to really be discussed, and it doesn't have to be just the beginning stage of that discussion. It can just start in getting to know my name, getting to know who I am, where I come from. And that's part of the DNA in terms of our agency. We do that all the time when we talk in terms of the history of our agency. We just continue moving that needle forward now. I, I think, too, the diversity, equity, inclusion focus is long overdue. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's fairly new uh, that companies are, are are focused on it and it's it's become a huge focus and understandably so and rightfully so after 514 and for an organization like yours not to say you're not being altruistic but there's a practical consideration your field certainly has some difficulties not that anyone doesn't finding people yeah mm. employees yeah yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and you 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 were leading into where I was going. Okay, um, uh, it, it, it's so, what good it, hosts it, do. Yes, in some respects, it, it, of course, go what good hosts do. We have when we discuss branching, developing a, a focus on diversity, equity, inclusion. Our CEO said we've been doing this since for fifty years. Our agency is about working with the community on a more inclusive society, especially around individuals with disabilities. That's what we do. We open people's eyes in the community when we go into a community and say, we want to bring a group home into your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We talk to them about our population and our folks and what we do. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it, but the other part of it is as well is the employment factor and that we are always hiring, that we are always looking for employees, and this is a great opportunity for people. So, <laughs> I apologize. that's quite mm -hmm. all right. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so it's altruistic. It's, um, we have to developing more, more, you know, people say a more accepting society. Let's say our focus is developing more accepting and understanding Buffalo. People, if we're going to, we, we have a segregated community, mm. just like Brad said. Um, if you're living in White Orchard Park or White Hamburg or White Clarence, it doesn't, and White South Buffalo, where sure. I live. Sure. Uh, I, I started going, and maybe it was the impact of May 14th, uh, and, or one of, uh, one of my favorite columnists, Sean Kirst from the Buffalo News, who wrote a article, a piece about Our Lady of Hope on Lafayette between Grant and Richmond. And there's probably 10 white people in the, in the congregation of the, in the mass that I go to out of 200. Mm -hmm. So back it up by be, becoming involved 
no matter if you're in your segregated white community, shop on Jefferson, shop in Broadway, Fillmore, go to church in a black and brown community. Don't live in your white world. When you started going to that church, how far up the forehead did the eyebrows raise? Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> not really. I, and you know what? And I, I don't notice things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I try to feel, I feel comfortable wherever I go, I think. I, I, people might look, but it, it's just more, um, it's, it's, and it's so, it's great. I'm not sitting here to, I'll, I'll leave the spirituality to my man Brad here. Uh, he's, uh, the, the larger topic is we know that out of your white world. Allyship can become so many different things. And, and when, when people are brave to want to do it, I mean, I do it all the time. I, that's the one thing I love about my job of community relations. I don't just stay in the Buffalo area, which I love, but I go out to wherever we have a presence. That's Orchard Park, that's Clarence, that's wherever that I'm out and doing. And yes, Dave, I've 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 been in like those old Western movies where the <laughs> piano stops playing when I walk in the room. So I've right. I've been there, brother. But you know, to Kevin's point, when I first started with the agency, and uh, I won't go into that long detail of the story, but I heard that public affairs wanted to talk to me. But when I met Kevin, we actually found so much in common that we had. Just and 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 the differences of South Buffalo to East Side just was blurred because we ended up going being at the same high school. Mm-hmm. Didn't even know each other from there, but went to the same college. We're proud Bengals. <laughs> that that makes Bengals. three of us. Hey, yeah, there you right. go. And um, you know, and then became not only coworkers and where I became an employee of his, but. Uh, we became co-workers, we became colleagues, we became friends, we became brothers uh, from different mothers. We became so much more over the time of our relationship through our working environment, but talking and being engaged with one another to where we know our families, to where we know each other uh, in a way, you know, that a lot of people say, that's too much of a bromance, but, you know, it's, it, it's a great connection. And I think when you think about that, um, to know that he stepped up at a point where I was in an emotional uh, upheaval from May 14th uh, and what he ended up doing with the connections that he had, but the heart and spirit that he had uh, means so much. You want me to get into some things in terms of spirituality? I was on my knees praying of what I was going to be able to do to help in that day after May 14th, and God brought me Kevin Horgan. Uh, connecting with Scott Beeler, connecting with uh, the DA's office, connecting with all these other stakeholders and other people to come to the forefront and assist in those in the in in those families' needs, but also to continue that process that we've got to get continue to do, Dave, um, helping me kind of get myself back on stable ground to help and do that type of work. Your vibe is pretty transparent. You already spoke about your spirituality. It's almost a moot point, but I do like to ask at the back end of almost any interview the same question. I, I think I know how both of you guys are going to answer. Are you optimistic? I stay optimistic every morning. I wake up, take that first breath. Kevin? I, as I'm optimistic. It's just the nature of who I am. I'm an eternal optimist. Um, but we... It's more than just, you can't be just optimistic. You have to back up the optimism by trying to make a difference. And we're lucky to work for an agency and have a board and leadership 
that we face challenges every day and we are we're all we're here to help people and i think everybody's here to help people no matter what your job is yeah um so and try to do what you can to help the less fortunate and yes um i am optimist optimistic thoughts prayers and then action yes exactly that's kevin horrigan from people inc and earlier with him Bradford Watts, their uh, Director of Community Relations. This is Buffalo What's Next. Stay with us. After the break, we'll talk with Larry Stitz in the community he's known not only for operating a coffee roastery, but really, if you've ever been there, it's almost a community center, a guy who really has the pulse of the community. We'll talk with him after this. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Who better to show off the fantastic towns of Western New York and Southern Ontario than the people who live there? Check out the popular WNED-PBS Our Town series now on YouTube. Debuting this week is Our Town Ellicottville. Filmed by community members in 2005, it features nightlife, skiing, shopping, quaint places to stay, and so much more. Head to the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel to watch and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. WNED-PBS can go everywhere you go with the WNED-PBS app. Go to the app to watch shows like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, Frontline, and Compact Science. Even watch on the go with the WNED-PBS live stream and a 24-7 stream of WNED-PBS kids. You can also see the full television schedule and what's on right now from the app. Download the WNED-PBS app wherever you get your apps. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And good morning. This is Dave Debo for the balance of the program today. We'll be talking with Larry Stitz. He and his wife, Jacqueline Stover Stitz, operate the Golden Cup, a coffee roastery, a coffee house. <laughs> you could even call it a little bit of a community center. It's always full. It's in the center of the Jefferson Avenue community, uh, pretty much just a, a, a couple of storefronts down from the top's shooting scene. But it's a business that has been there for quite a while. It's a business that is expanding and I think that's a story worth telling because there are a lot of people that have said, gee, there are no resources on the east side. There is no expansion on the east side. Larry can push back a little bit against that. Larry, thanks so very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Golden Cup. Is it is it safe to say you really are um, a little bit of a community center? Anytime I've uh, been in there, and it's only been twice, I've noticed you're you're packed to the gills with a lot of people from right there around the neighborhood. You're a busy guy. Yeah, it's the only uh, gathering place basically on the east side. You know, we we serve coffee, we sandwiches, soups, salads. So it's a good place to come in and grab something quick. Uh, our coffee is outstanding, of course. I do the roasting, and it is kind of a a community gathering place because a lot of people do come in and have their meetings here. 
Tell me a little bit about the history. You started out as just a roastery, or have you always been the retail outlet, too? No. Um, we, we, we started off about 12 years ago. I had went to Cameroon, Central Africa, with one of the politicians from the county to set up a sister city for Buffalo. And the mayor of the capital city that we were setting up was a coffee farmer. And over time, we became good friends through the Internet, and he had dual citizenship between uh, Cameroon and Africa, and uh, between Cameroon and Canada. And with that relationship, he said, you should do coffee. I said, well, I'm too busy. I can't do it. And the next thing I know, I was on the Internet doing research and uh, found a coffee school in Clearwater, Florida and went and got my uh, roaster's license, and here I am today. I'm roasting coffee. And it has thrived, you said, for 12 years. Yes. Now, that to me is the interesting part, because I think there is an argument, and perhaps one that is even more prevalent after 514, that there just aren't enough resources on the east side, that there is no business on Jefferson Avenue. You've been running a business there for 12 years. Push back against that but at the same time address whether or not there are enough resources on the east side? Well, like any other business, you know, you select where you want to be uh, as far as location. And we were committed to the east side uh, to start our business here. Um, my wife is a Buffalonian. She grew up on the east side, not far from here. And we made the decision that's the community we wanted to serve to address the businesses on Jefferson we can use more there's they're, they're very sparsely located when it comes to Jefferson Avenue we have a few businesses but Jefferson can use more uplifting what does that look like when you say it could use more uplifting uh, wave the magic wand to tell me what you would love to see I'd like to see some of the chains come in, the food chains, as far as, you know, um, we know that the McDonald's and the big guys aren't going to come, but the smaller ones, we would love to see them come in. And even some of the mom and pop businesses to come back to Jefferson Avenue and make things happen. I, I, I think the opportunity is great right now, and uh, we'd like to see that on the east side here. Are there challenges running a business on Jefferson Avenue that you wouldn't necessarily have if you were on, say, Hurdle or Elmwood? I would say yes. Uh, but in order to get rid of those misnomers, if we put the businesses there, they will come, like in any other community. When you were starting up, I imagine you probably had to reach out and get some investment. I have seen you on a television commercial most recently for M&T Bank. Address the, uh, the capital side of it. How, how hard was it to get that which you needed to start a business? Well, me and my wife were fortunate. We didn't start up. We didn't use the banks at all. Really? We didn't have to, have to use the banks at all. We had saved up our money and started it on our own. Um, we used the banks as a parachute in case we needed it. We went to the banks to fill the gap. 
but we were fortunate enough to start our business without going to the bank. I imagine that that's not the typical case? No, it's not the typical case. But I can say that the banks have always been there for us if we needed them. Talk more broadly. I think they would be there for, for other businesses that, that come in because they have special programs that they, they have for businesses. So the, the lack of investment on the east side you don't necessarily feel is a byproduct of banks not willing to participate? I think since 514, they're kind of changing the way that they handle the east side here and making things a little easier for those business owners that want to start up or improve their businesses. Do you think there is a general lack of resources beyond the banks? Is there something else that they need, uh, that, that people would need to, to invest in the east side? Well, I, I always take it back to City Hall because people are looking for investment credits and so on. So it, it has to start there as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the politicians got to get involved and do their just do for the community as well on how businesses can be lured to the east side because they're not going to just pick up and come to the east side because it's the east side. There's going to have to be some some kind of carrot dangle out there for them to want to come. I think of Elmwood and I think of Hurdle and I think of uh, the, the storefront improvements, the facades. I think of the parking. Uh, can the east side, can Jefferson benefit from infrastructure? Yes, um, Jefferson Avenue is going through what I call a renaissance as far as that goes. We, we have streetscape that they're gonna, they're, they rolled out, and it's going to improve the traffic flow, the sidewalks, and so on here on the east side up and down Jefferson Avenue. And Jefferson Avenue has been, uh, there's been grants available uh, from the state that, businesses can take advantage of to improve their businesses. What about uh, the vacancy rate? You always hear about how there are so many vacant lots and how housing is an issue uh, in, in certain parts of the city. Along Jefferson Avenue, are there too many vacant storefronts? Is that an issue that also would need to be addressed? I, I, I would say not as many storefronts, but I think there's a lot of vacant lots up and down Jefferson that could be filled with businesses that would come to Jefferson Avenue. Larry Stitz is with us. He's the owner and operator, chief coffee roaster at Golden Cup. He and his wife, Jacqueline Stover-Stitz, operate the Golden Cup. They're on Jefferson Avenue now, right near uh, the top shooting scene in the same building as the Challenger. But I understand, Larry, you're looking at uh, a move to a different spot on Jefferson, you're renovating a building that would be a, a bigger and better space for you. Tell me about that. Uh, yes, we are. We're excited about that. Uh, uh, 1362 Jefferson at the corner of Jefferson and Glenwood. We purchased the building, and uh, we're renovating it, and we hope to be in there sometime next year. Uh, it's going to be a much larger space. Uh, it will include our roastery. There will be community space for meetings. 
And there will also be an incubator for startup businesses uh, there as well. Tell me more about that portion of it. When I think of uh, incubator for startup businesses, my mind goes to um, maybe the Grand Street Bazaar that uh, Weedy runs, that kind of thing. Is this space? Well, is this space where someone would come in and operate their own under under your wing? Well, it wouldn't be basically under my wing. We would assist them in helping them get, uh, referring them to business uh, uh, to organizations that would help them uh, with their business. We would provide office space, you know, and instead of them operating out of their home, they can operate out of a space at the Golden Cup. I see. So uh, their, their ultimate uh, product delivery, their retail space, wouldn't necessarily be with you, but you'd be there as a, a place where they can get some extra support. Right, exactly. What kind of support? That's su- what Jefferson Avenue needs. Uh, we have the Beverly Grace Center that provides some of those services, and uh, we just need more institutions that will be willing to help. You've answered my next question. I was just going to say, what what kind of things do individual startups need in order to get them rolling? Well, without capital, nothing happens. They they will definitely need a road to capital. And once they, they, they identify capital, you're going to need a business plan. You're going to need people to help you with that business plan. And you take it from there, and you're on your way. What does that look like when we say a business plan? Is that uh, literally just a, a roadmap for growth and making sure you have your, your uh, finances and your, your checkbook balanced? Well, when you, when you start a business, you've got to know where you're going, and you've got to know how you're going to get there, and that's what that business plan is going to lay out for you so that you don't have a lot of surprises, so that you know exactly am I following that roadmap that was laid out for me to be successful. There's a joke out there uh, that I've heard uh, whenever I watch, uh, I don't know, war movies, things like that, that the first casualty of war is the plan, that once you get it out in the field, the business plan or any sort of plan really starts to disintegrate. Uh, Are you, 12 years later, still on the plan that you thought you'd have back 12 years ago? Oh, we're constantly adjusting our original plan because things don't per se work out the way you want them to, so you make that adjustment to uh, cover for that. If you were mayor, what would you, and I don't mean this is a chance to in particular criticize the current mayor, but if you were mayor or if you were in charge of more than you are, is there a new program you would like to see launched that perhaps the city doesn't have right now? You know, you you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. Uh, there's been a, a, a lot of programs that were put out there that were successful, and you just need to go back in your cadre there and pull those programs back up. I mean, we have statistics on what worked and what didn't work. And so those things that work, you just pull them out instead of trying to re- reinvent something else. And is that true even more so after 514, or is there stuff that we need to invent now because the spotlight is on all the issues of disinvestment, uh, segregation, housing troubles, et cetera? Well, 
housing is an issue that needs to be addressed. Uh, we have sparsely populated lots and things here on the east side, and that needs to be a priority because no matter what kind of business you put on Jefferson Avenue, if you don't have the housing stock to support it, the chances of it failing are greater. To what degree is segregation an issue? Um, are there enough people on the east side to support east side business, or do you need someone to flock to it like they do perhaps in Elmwood and Hurdle? Well, you're going you're gonna to always need someone to flock to it. If you build it, I always say they will come. And if we could keep those dollars in our community, that generates growth right there. And you need that housing stock as well, though, because you give people options, and they don't have to leave their community to get the things that they need. Are there enough reasons for people who don't live on the east side to come to the east side? Yes, I think that uh, we have some interesting things here. I'll, I'll just use my coffee shop for an example. Uh, we've had a lot of people outside of the community come here and that would have never known about Golden Cup if it wasn't for a tragedy. And, you know, uh, my prayers and my wife's prayers are with those families and, and individuals that lost their lives. Um, but people seem to flock to where there's tragedy and try to support. Buffalo is a very supportive city. Uh, when they say city of good neighbors, uh, I'm a believer in that. All right. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, specifically about 514 and uh, the businesses along Jefferson Avenue. One of them is the Golden Cup. Larry Stitz is the owner-operator. He is here and we will continue our discussion in just a bit. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Watch Love and Respect with Killer Mike, Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WNED-PBS. It's a different kind of talk show, hosted by Michael Render, a.k.a. Killer Mike from Run the Jewels, who hosts no-holds-barred conversations with some of today's biggest celebrities and politicians. Tuesdays at 7.30 on WNED-PBS. PBS Kids fun and educational content is available wherever you are in Western New York, whenever you want. Live stream the channel at wned.org slash pbskids. And while you're there, you can play games, watch videos from your favorite shows like Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Molly of Denali, and Alma's Way. And you'll find resources for parents and teachers. Visit wned.org slash pbskids today. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo continuing our discussion with Larry Stitz. He's the owner and operator of Golden Cup Coffee, a roastery, a cafe operating on Jefferson Avenue, almost within, I could say, Larry, a stone's throw of the top shooting scene. Uh, you're right on that same corner, but the other side. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. 
Talk to me about that day. Were you in business then? Uh, were you were you in the store when things broke out? I was not in the store, but I had my the store was open, and we had staff here. And I imagine the first thing that happened was they called you. Definitely. Once things happened, uh, we did get the call. And my first thing was the safety of the employees to close the shop and, you know, get out, get out of the area. How long did you stay closed? We probably stayed closed a couple of weeks. Okay. Because I, we, we opened back up, and uh, we've been open ever since. I imagine your location, and being a coffee shop, I mean, it's a place where people gather, um, became part of the healing, no? Oh, yeah. And, and let me just comment on the healing process. This is something that's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen in a month, a year, or whatever. You know, people lost lost loved ones through some senseless stuff. And there's a lot of healing that has to be done along those lines. I don't want to make this a, a difficult conversation, but elaborate on that if you can. Well... Take yourself, if you lost a loved one in a situation like that, how would you feel? How, how would you address it? Uh, people are still trying to deal with that, and they're going to be dealing with that the rest of their life. It's not going to be something, like I said, that's going to be uh, taken care of in a month, a year. And, you know, we can put up all the memorials and everything that we want, but that's not going to heal the wounds that have been created by this tragedy. In that regard, six months, and we're coming up on, on six months since the shootings, six months, you're right, probably isn't a lot of time for most people. No, it's going to take far, far longer than a, a six-month or one-year period for those who lost loved ones to come to grips with this. I... Again, don't want to make this a difficult conversation, but I think part of what we do here is go a little bit deeper on issues of race. How hard is it to get beyond a shooting when you know that the reason these people were shot was simply because they're black? Well, I I really don't want to get into commenting on the shooting and things like that. Uh, I I just rather keep it in my wheelhouse. All right. Uh, uh, anytime you have a tragedy, I just let me go on record as saying that it's not an easy thing to get over. Sure. Fair enough. We'll we'll leave it there. Again, I don't want to press you into places that you're not able to willingly go. Tell me about some of the community issues that have sprung forward. You mentioned housing earlier. That, to me, looks like a real tough nut to crack. What what kind of things can be done there? Well, there, there, there's a lot of programs out there that the state have to increase the housing stock here in Buffalo, 
personally, I I think that sometimes we channel dollars in the wrong direction. Uh, just my personal view, uh, the refiguration of the Kensington. Uh, I think housing stock on the east side is much more important to that than that, as far as I'm concerned. Um, those dollars, you're talking billions of dollars. Uh, just think that what that would do to the east side if those dollars were invested in the community. Instead of putting a tunnel over a road that people have been driving for 50-odd years. That's right, and it was, it was covered before. So we're going to undo something that we did years ago. A lot I've heard of the housing problem is home ownership, that you have more landlords than you have owners. How do you deal with that? Well, you you got to have programs so that people can invest in the neighborhood. Um, an individual that owns a house in the neighborhood is going to take care of it, and the neighborhood is going to flourish. But as long as you have what we have a lot of landlords who don't live in those places they're not going to take care of them like you would if it was your own in recent years i know you were involved with the buffalo school board kind of as a i don't want to overstate it or give you the wrong title but a, a compliance monitor for the joint schools construction project was it your role there to make sure that the right amount of minority and women owned business enterprises were involved in the mix Yes, we had uh, part of that was our, our, our charge to make sure that minorities and women were involved in the project, yes. In a general sense, does the MWBE program work the way you think it should? Not 100%. There's a lot of tweaking that could be done in that program. Um, and we have enough history to know what that tweaking should be is is it needing more participants or just needing better enforcement uh, what kind of things would have to happen to make you completely confident in the program i think the enforcement portion of it is is a big part um we can certify minority business and women businesses and if they're not given the opportunity to perform their craft, then the program is not going to work. The program is often used for public works. Again, the, the school project, I'm thinking of obviously the stadium coming up, uh, the airport back in the day, one of the first project labor agreements in the area. Um, is a program like this necessary or would it even work in the private sector somehow? Could, could I come in with a big pot of money and say, I'm going to fix up housing on the east side, but it's got to be with an MWBE component? Sure, it can work. Like I say, the enforcement of it is the, the key. If, if we don't enforce what we put on the book, then it's, it's never going to work. I want to shift to another time. Go ahead. And, and, and that's taking the stadium under consideration the past schools project, or any other public project that we've had. And if a private developer wanted to come in and 
be true to the community and get them involved, he would look for a program such as that. I want to shift to another topic briefly, the idea of food deserts. The, the Tops was the only grocery store uh, in the neighborhood. There's been a lot of discussion from Alexander Wright and the African American Heritage Food Co-op to a bunch of other entrepreneurs looking at things like a cannery, an urban farm, a hydroponic development. Um, will these other little projects help? And I'm, almost, I'm asking this rhetorically. I know it's a leading question, but the idea of these projects having ownership in the community, that's got to be a, a blessing that I'm sure you would support. Definitely. I, I think anything that can come to the Jefferson Avenue community business-wise would help. Uh, I personally think we need another grocery store in our area so that people have choices. Do you think that could happen, though? Wegmans has already said that they use bigger stores in higher traffic areas. Um, I, I haven't been able to reach out to Aldi or or some of the other smaller independents, you think there could be a place for another store and it would operate and it would uh, thrive? I think there's a place for another store, and it doesn't necessarily have to be on Jefferson Avenue. It just needs to be in the vicinity of Jefferson Avenue. And uh, a perfect store, I think, is an Aldi's. I mean, it, 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 it fits our community very well, and it does well in other communities. And they do go into smaller neighborhoods, I think, of the one uh, down by the Broadway market. Exactly. As we wrap... We need to have more resources for us to shop at, and I think it, 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 it would make a difference. As we wrap up, what do you think is the largest community need right now? There's obviously been talk about housing, uh, certainly the, the access to food. Is there a number one largest obstacle on the east side that needs to be overcome right now? Well, of course, housing to me is, 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 a, is a big issue. And business development, I think they go hand in hand. Uh, if we don't get the business development going, we, we'll be right back where we started. And you know, there's a lot of probably a lot of promises being made that different things are going to happen, and it's going to be up to the people in the Jefferson Avenue and the City of Buffalo community to make sure that some of these things happen. And let me guess: when you say business development, you're not necessarily talking retail, uh, anything that provides employment and and economic opportunity is what you would advocate for. Am I right? That's right. Opportunity is, is, is what we need over here. All right. Larry, uh, anything else you need to add before we close here? What, what, does, uh, what does Buffalo need, and, and how optimistic are you that it could ultimately achieve that and get that? Well, right now, my focus is on Jefferson Avenue. I'm the president of the Greater Jefferson Avenue Business Association as well, and we're working to try and get businesses to come back to the area and also to assist those businesses that are already in the area. 
Larry, thanks so much for your time. We are out of time, but I'm so glad you were able to spend some of it with us this morning. Larry Stitz and his wife, Jacqueline Stover Stitz, operate the Golden Cup on Jefferson Avenue. And that will do it for this episode of the program. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR stations. We're on a highway to climate hell, says the head of the UN. But can world leaders agree on how and when to come off the gas? From WAMU and NPR in Washington, this is 1A. I'm David Gura in for Jen White. Today on 1A, another year, another COP climate summit. The UN Secretary General has set the tone for the next two weeks. He says, we're in the fight of our lives and we're losing. We'll get the latest from the climate conference being held this year in the Egyptian resort of Sharm el-Sheikh. And because we all need cheering up, later in the hour, you'll hear Jen White sit down with parody rock god Weird Al Yankovic. His new biopic starring Daniel Radcliffe is smart, funny, and appropriately weird. That's all ahead after these headlines. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. Republicans and Democrats are making a last-minute pitch to voters today in the run-up to the midterm elections. President Biden will host supporters at a rally today in Maryland before returning to the White House. Former President Donald Trump will host an event on behalf of Republicans in Ohio. Voting rights advocates in Georgia are suing a county in the Atlanta region for failing to mail more than 1,000 requested absentee ballots.